We've been social distancing for almost three years by always recording in different places. Talk about getting ahead of the curve. This is episode 32, COVID, March 2020. It's what everybody in the world is talking about right now, almost literally. So if we were in a basement, there's no way we wouldn't be talking about this. We did, I wouldn't say agonize over it, but there was a bit of talk in our group chat about just how do we stay relevant with this conversation because everything is moving so incredibly fast. And there is a little bit of a worry that what we put out might be uh, a little bit dated. But at the same time, I think we've found some things that we can touch on that that won't have changed by tomorrow morning. So we're not making any recommendations. Uh, we're just going to talk a little bit about where our lives have gone in the last week or two weeks or three weeks. And, and we're in a unique situation because we've got less in Toronto. We got George in Calgary. And this is moving across the country in some different ways. Uh, Steve and I are in Manitoba. I'm in northern Manitoba. We're probably the last last place in Canada that this is really starting to get super real or it's been more real for for some people in Vancouver longer than it has been for me. Here's the disclaimer. There is going to be some swearing. There's going to be a few things that border on inappropriate. There's going to be some serious moments. It's not our professional selves. There's nothing here we're embarrassed about. Somewhere between a church basement and a locker room. That sounds okay to you. We can't wait to have you along. And if not, I guess we'll catch you on the flip side. This is the Snow Day Podcast. With Dr. George Alvarez. If I have a plea, the healthcare system's gotcha. Don't worry about that. Whatever's going to come, we're going to take care of you. Uh, just make sure you take care of each other. Leadership expert, Stephen DeGroote. Let personal responsibility eclipse mandated responsibility. CEO, Leslie Hansen. You know, we spent six months doing renos on our house and uh, we can't have, we can't invite anyone over to see it. And me, I'm still here. Bruce Krentz, the one they left behind. But two and a half months, what do parents do? What do kids do if we're still heavily isolated? I fear for that. Steve, if you have some thoughts. Bubble gum art. We're going to start with a check-in like we always do, but maybe a little bit less on what's happened, what what crazy trips we went on or what zany antics we got up to and more just how our lives have changed. I'm going to go west to east. So we're going to start with you, George. Where are you right now? And what has changed in your world in the last two, three, four weeks? Well, as mentioned, I'm in Calgary. And exactly one week ago today, I was uh, in Winnipeg, finally getting to see Steve and doing what he does best. So it was quite a meaningful experience. Um, I got to see him talk about responsive communication. I flew out there to take his course. It was uh, specifically geared for healthcare people, which I think in the current panic that many people are feeling or anxiety of the unknown, it was very relevant. And then the first you know, confirmed case of COVID happened uh, while I was in Winnipeg. And just to see people running in and out of the room, 
trying to get the CEO or CMO in and out. It was very interesting to see it at a ground zero level, even though it wasn't even at that hospital. Mm -hmm. So that's what's uh, that's kind of the biggest thing that's happened to me in the last week. Wow, we Stevie D. He mentioned you, so you go next. You're always on the move, and we don't get to move now. So <laughs> it was pretty wild because we were at the. It was a hospital setting, and, and at 8.15, we were checking in, and by 10.15, the first confirmed case happened. Uh, and we were with all the managers at one of the urgent care hospitals here, so we just saw, like, pfft. And Georgie's used to that, I'm pretty sure, in his ICU critical care, uh, seeing that kind of reaction to different things. So it was pretty neat. How has my life changed? Um, everything. You know, we're trying to be, you know, I th said last week, let personal responsibility eclipse mandated responsibility. Um, you know, and just, you know, also being close to George and, and some other physicians last week, getting a kind of a realistic view of what was happening in the world versus what we were seeing on the news. Um, so it was like, holy crap, we got to take this seriously. And we, we postponed all of our in-person meetings. Uh, even I had some in Winnipeg where they're like, ah, it's not a big deal. They're kind of old school. I'm like, no, it is. Let's just, <laughs> let's just not go out in public, um, today. So yeah, everything's changed. Just, uh, you know, laying low. I've been in Winnipeg, geez, I think for like, 12 days or something it's wild but it's great to be you know locked down with the boys pretty much everything's changed it's uh, driving me crazy for someone with adhd on crack to have to stay in one place and not go outside it's been pretty pretty tough but uh, i'm good though i'm good like you i'm an itchy feet guy and and i move around a lot so this is it's been a bit of a tricky change for me too my world sort of went upside down this past week maybe not upside down but i'm working from home now which makes sense it's something i can totally do our work has amazing tech stuff it's almost as if i'm in the office murph just actually rolled in the door right now from uni so they basically booted him out of res and said you got to do everything online so he's home with us now and uh school closed for marnie and they've talked about having the teachers work from home as well. So we were kind of joking that we got to set up either like a little cubicle farm here in our office because <laughs> both Marnie and I will be working and Murph still has uni courses to do. So I'm not sure what's going to happen around here. We'll take lunch and coffee together. <laughs> Murph and I will be working opposite shifts. We could easily share an office. By the time I'm ready to tag out, he's just waking up to tag in. So yeah. that's been good. And like you say, Steve, we almost had the same thing as your work where our hockey team was still playing up until Sunday night and, and still getting together and shaking hands and sort of trying to laugh it off. But the more you really think about it, now that's over. I mean, the rec center's closed and I think we've all realized we got to have some serious personal responsibility. So my world feels like it's really changed. I do lots of regular activities, band and hockey and a woodwind group and, and all of that, and that's all changing. So it's interesting times. Lester, the furthest east and the biggest city in all of Canada, how's your world changed? Much like you guys, it has changed like completely on its head in uh, in a very fast-paced short amount of time. I am home now with my girlfriend. We are uh, completely self-isolated, completely set up, scrambled to get things set up. I shut down my office for my software company last week, sent everybody home. Um, everybody is working from home. I'm I'm grateful and more fortunate than anything that, that I have a business, uh, which is, it's quite possible to do that. Obviously our work product um, doesn't require us putting hands on it and shipping physical boxes and doing things like that. So that's worked in my favor, but I've spent most of the last week dealing with my employees, getting everything set up as, as I know all um, business owners and business leaders have been doing. 
you guys remember I've been out of my home for most of the last six months doing renos and uh, we literally got in here um, like last Monday no it's not completely finished but it's finished enough that it's totally livable and and comfortable and they'll come back uh, when when the time is right and, and finish things up but fortunately we're not uh, we're not still living in a temporary space I think we are pretty much set up to not leave the house for the next you know however long it takes that's the general vibe in Toronto there's kind of two camps those people who care and those people who don't care of those people that care in Toronto I think the reality is this is a very large very very international city as uh, the call went out to Canadians to get their asses back to Canada you know there were 50 or 100,000 people a day going through Pearson Airport from all around the world so there's no question that the outbreak in, in Toronto will be quite widespread. It's not like there's going to be a single point of contact. It's going to be everywhere in the community. And so, you know, most people, I think there's um, developing a pretty strong sense of community around being vigilant and, and self-isolating. And so Alex and I are just trying to be um, very much uh, on top of that and being as responsible as possible and, and uh doing whatever we can to slow the spread, flatten the curve, as as I'm sure George will tell us about. So you're self-isolated, Les. You guys are, you're set up to be locked in. We're a little bit that way in our house, but I have, and it's mostly just, how do you feel right now? And I'm a change guy. You guys know I've had a hundred jobs in my life, but I have probably the most unsettled feeling of my life right now. I think I'm a bit of a planner, and this is just something we've never done before. Are you? Are you feeling? And I, I'm not. I'm not scared. I'm not panicking. I'm not. You know, I'm not hoarding rice because I think that the apocalypse is coming. I have the most unsettled feeling I've ever had. How? Where are you at? We're just trying to like stay calm and stay chill and be mindful of the fact that this is a a very strange psychological and emotional time. Because I would agree, I feel as unsettled as probably I ever have. You know, we're moved back into our house, which looks completely different. It has very little furniture in it. <laughs> sure, Jason Bourne. Yeah, exactly. I laughed with a buddy of mine. You know, we spent six months doing renos on our house and uh, we can't have, we can't invite anyone over to see it. Uh, um, you know, the last trip I made to the grocery store was surreal and not fun. There was a palpable tension amongst people in the, in the store, people lining up to hoard toilet paper and bottled water for Christ's sake, which is just, you know, we'll be laughing about for decades afterwards. It's an eerie feeling to um, move around Toronto when we have and the streets be empty. You know, things that we never really kind of imagined. And it's happened all very, very quickly. So it's unsettling, but we're just trying to, um, I, you know, just... Yeah, I don't even know what we're trying to do. Just trying to deal with it, I guess, like everyone else. Yeah, just trying trying to be cool. Yeah, Stevie, uh, you? I'm kind of built for this stuff. Like, I get worked up about really tiny things, but really big crises. I'm like, mm, yeah, it's no biggie. I, I don't know. I'm wired for this kind of stuff. So it's a bit strange. I feel bad for other people who can't tolerate this kind of stuff or who feel out of sorts. You know, I just wish we could do more for them, but I'm, I'm doing fine trying to help those I can. And that kind of gives me a a sense of control and familiarity, which I think is one of the biggest things that people uh, miss. And I think less that, you know, having furniture puts you at a, a bit of a, more of a disadvantage because it's like, you're not coming back to that, that set right, that you left, so to speak. 
uh, a funny description I heard not too long ago as I throw it to you, George, is just that uh, it's almost like the whole world is waiting for medical results right now. And you just you just don't know. It, it might not be bad. It might be really bad, but you just have absolutely no way to know. And so we're, we're all just sort of hanging out, trying to be calm, hoping for the best. And uh, I thought that was kind of an interesting way to describe it. Yeah, I mean, I think you guys are starting to experience what I do for a living. Uh, like I do this in aliquots at a week at a time where I'm under pressure, making important decisions. And so I feel uber focused. Like I have this weird serenity, which is probably the opposite of what most people think. It's a hundred percent different than me for sure. Yeah. Like I, I am, I'm so calm for several reasons. I think this will be the reassuring part. So I can only speak to what my department is doing and to what other departments that I work through, but this will certainly apply in all provinces. The amount of time and effort that people in the healthcare industry are doing to make you safe, I, th I think it's almost unbelievable. Like if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. People who are doing this for nothing or near nothing because of their you know, social responsibility and, and, and what they went into this job for is to help people. I think uh, it, it, it gives me a great sense of pride and purpose. And, and in particular, my department, which uh, is the sharp end of the stick. I mean, the ICU is the insurance policy for all of healthcare. You cannot run a healthcare industry, any service without having critical care as your backup. And, and the, the pride I feel of my colleagues and what we're all doing, the amount of volunteer, the way we're trying to help each other. We're talking about, let's make sure we touch base once a day when we're all on service, just to see how we're doing. Like just the rallying point around this is amazing. And then I juxtaposed this to my Costco trip last night. So since people brought up toilet paper, I told Megan, look, we got to go to, uh, to Costco uh, get some get some stuff. I already heard that they were starting to limit the amount of people because I knew that they would do that. So I said, okay, we're not going to go shopping for a week or 10 days. So we went to Costco last night. One of the most positive experiences of my life. I went later in the night, so I had to wait in line, but it was very short. There were very few people within Costco. Very pleasant experience. Got into line to pay for it, and I looked over, and Megan looked sick. And I said, babe, what's, what's going on? She goes, I can't stand being in here. I can't stand. And I said, what are you talking about? This is like our fastest Costco shop. We got everything that we wanted. We're out of here in record time. And she goes, I can't stand being here. So then it made me realize, yeah, most people don't feel <laughs> like you do during this moment. <laughs> like I do. Like I was having this Zen state at Costco. That's awesome. But, and then, but then I realized, yeah, my partner here is feeling the exact opposite. So this is what Canada and Canadian healthcare is good at, protecting the masses, everyone equally without discrimination. People are working on your behalf. There are going to be some people that die 100%, and that happens with all disease states. This one just happens to be magnified in today's super connected world. We are much more prepared and I think we should be thankful to the poor countries that had to go through this before us. We've learned a tremendous amount and all the measures that we're putting into place is to prevent the horror that is well documented and televised on a daily basis in other countries. Your experience is your experience. 
right? And that, like, you know, the four of us are very similar. Um, but yours and Bruce's and maybe Les's in my experience are very far apart uh, in the very same circumstance. Mm -hmm. George, moving forward, it's interesting that you say you're the ICU and you're the the sort of the, the sharp edge, the insurance uh, policy for everybody. And my work, I, I'm actually a public health manager, which I never thought when I started my work life that I would be, but it's a perfect place for me. We're the exact opposite end of healthcare as you. So we're upstream prevention and you're you know, when people are in crisis. So it's kind of interesting to see those two perspectives. Yeah, it is interesting that we're on opposite ends of the spectrum. And I will say, for the people that work on this end of the spectrum, we all wish that all the money was put into what you do, Bruce, because, <laughs> you know, an ounce of prevention is definitely than a pound of cure. And, and I mean, that's what all public health policy is about, is preventing diseases so much cheaper in the long run. And I think we are generally more afraid of risks now than we are in the future. I mean, that's just the way we're hardwired. And a good example is climate change. And for the last 10 years, like no one is af afraid of something that's 20 years from now. I think Bruce, in one of the pods that we were talking about, you were saying something like, how do you convince, you know, a 20 year old about, you know, diabetes for 30 or 40 years? I can't remember mm -hmm. which pod it was, but you said something like that. And it's true. This example that we're talking about is now something dramatic is pushed right in everybody's faces it's right now you can't avoid it you're swimming in information every single day you're inundated constantly with information not just in your province but every province every country on earth i think we're taking advantage of other countries tragedies i think the measures that we're putting into place are correct uh, I think the cadence is correct. I mean, if you think about where I was one week ago in Winnipeg, I told him the things that were going to start to happen because I had information that most people don't. And they all have come to pass. And it's like every day something happens uh, in society or in healthcare because we can't eat it all in one day. You can't go to an all-you-can-eat buffet and stuff yourself till you're sick. And I think the way the government... Uh, and society is handling it is in a correct way. Like it's being given to us piecemeal so that psychologically we don't shatter because if everything in the last 10 days was done in one day, you can imagine the true panic that would ensue. Forget about toilet paper. I mean, people would be, you know, pushing grannies in over peers <laughs> to, to get to their grocery store. So yeah, I don't, I don't think I have too much more to say about medicine. Because uh, I think that's the least interesting part about this conversation, because I think everybody knows it already. It's been said a hundred different times. I'm more interested in the societal aspects of it and how we view the way people act. I totally agree with you, George. Uh, interestingly, sort of what the way that you mentioned the upstream prevention stuff and sort of knowing what other people don't know. So my boss is part of the provincial response team. She's the leader in our region by a mile and has been into this. This is She's a public health person to the core. This is her Stanley Cup. Like, she lives for this kind of thing. You know, you're prepared forever. And when the very first case of COVID came out in China, I was in just sitting talking to her in her office, and she basically mapped out 
all of what was going to happen here. And, and because I'm not in her world and because I haven't seen some of the different things she has, I, I was like everyone else. I kind of blew it off. I was like, yeah, I don't know. This is kind of your thing. You're into it, but it's not real. And it's amazing how just about everything she's mentioned has come to pass. And thankfully for people in northern Manitoba, our region spent a bunch of upfront time working on this that other region didn't. So we, we're uber prepared for it, but that doesn't mean that Giant Tiger is not a toilet paper here too. So <laughs> it's happening everywhere. But I also agree with you, George, just my little behind the scenes look, it's amazing the giant machine that's kicked into place and uh, and how much is really happening. Like it, it really is, it's truly amazing. And in December when, when she mentioned to me what would have to happen, I couldn't imagine that it did and it really is so it's it's a it's a phenomenal scene it's crazy and and some of my staff are are drawn into that because we're part of public health even though we aren't nurses and doctors amazing thing how how do we cope with this how do we deal with it how do what's going on in people's heads well i think what george did was the is one of the best things you can do is is focus on the good you know focus on uh, the people that are you know my favorite quote by was it um Mr. Rogers, his mother told him, like, when bad things happen, look to those running to help, you know, so, you know, we can focus on, we can perseverate on the really bad things and just get like fully worked up because we're the only animals that can create an ulcer just by thinking about fearful things. So we can make it worse. So look at the good, look at who's working on it. Uh, look at be, all the things that you're grateful for and all the things, you know, it's, it's so important in a time like this when you don't have control to, you know, have a routine. Because humans, humans require equilibrium, right, and a sense of control. So, you know, making sure, you know, maybe if you're at home that you get up, you have a shower at 10 o'clock, you stretch at 1 o'clock, you have a list of people that you can call um, just so you can stay connected. And that's a big one too, stay connected. Um, you know, when we get isolated, we don't realize how fast, some people do, how fast the loneliness sets in. It's exponential. Now, when you get the human aspect of this thing, there's so many different things that you can you can uh, you can speak to, but in terms of coping, uh, I think those are the, the the first things that come to mind. Focus on the positive. Look at the good things that are happening. Be grateful for what you have, and uh, set yourself up a routine so that you have a sense of control over what's happening in your world. I love it. I'm gonna call Lester out on this one because we've both been working at home all week, and uh, I had sort of read a few things about that, and I did it. I got up every morning at the same time as I normally would, had a shower put on work clothes and then came into the basement and started working and it it helps a ton I and I was I wanted to go for a walk actually which is what I normally do in the morning but things have been going so fast at work that I would have to get up earlier and get up earlier for a walk versus uh, sleep in I, I skipped the walk but I, I caught it later on in the day I think there really is something to to that routine and it, it cracked me up and I I hope I can keep it going. Lester, have you been showering every morning? <laughs> yeah, I have, Bruce. Uh, it's, bar shampoo? But Yeah, always bar shampoo. You know I don't use plastic. Yeah, me too, 100%. <laughs> no shampoo bottles in my shower, not allowed. Um, you know, I'm actually, it, it's, it's fortunate if, I, if I, we crank the Wayback Machine 25 some odd years, you guys will remember that I began my career with a series of sales jobs that were all home office based. So I'm, I'm actually, you know, went through that in my early and mid twenties, kind of learning how to look, if you have to work from home, you've got to come up with a plan to focus on working from home. But I did have to impose that on a bunch of uh, software development people who've never had that before in their lives, um, sending them home this week. So we've put together like a structure of, you know, morning conference calls, um, scheduled events throughout the week and whatnot, so that everybody still feels that they have a timeline that they have to adhere to. 
and um, try to, to help them through that process. Because it is really important if you're not used to working from home. Uh, there's a reason, I mean, I don't do this, I know Steve, you do, but there's a reason why you see so many people in the world these days working from Starbucks or working from wherever, because people don't like to sit at home and work all day. <laughs> I actually don't mind. I'm perfectly comfortable here at my uh, at my kitchen counter looking out the window and recording this. This is where I've, I'm spending sort of, you know, four or six hours a day. There's a there's a different set of tools to keep yourself productive. Been, uh, I mean, this is probably the first time that I've ever done this for a, a whole weekend. I don't, I don't mind it, but you're right. You have to, I think you have to learn how to, to turn it on and to turn it off. I've done more work this week than I probably did in the weeks previous, which people would laugh at. And I guess maybe I get a bit of an appreciation for Steve who just can't turn it off like 18 hours a day. Steve and I are used to working sort of from anywhere. You know, the last decade of our lives has, has been that way. So um, it's not atypical for me at all to be sitting here with my laptop open. Um, but yeah, for, for people who never have, like when we talked way back when, when we did our pod on work-life balance, like there's a lot of people, especially if you have a family at home, it's like your home life is your home life and your work life is at your work. And you turn that on when you leave the house and you turn it back off when you come home. And it's a huge adjustment for those people. Yeah. If I see one more picture of a home office set up, I'm going to like, you know, everyone's like, look at my home office, yeah. you know, like, well, spent the day this, setting up my home office. actually a big deal, you <laughs> yeah. know? Yeah. And my routine, like in your right list, my routine is I get up and I yeah. go to bed. That's, that's what's yeah. in my calendar. The little funny part of that is George couldn't be more opposite than you. He cannot bring his work home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly true. But, but the irony is in this situation, he's the only person that's going to continue to not be able to bring his work home. That would be weird to see Mr. Smith on a ventilator. In George's dining room, that'd be, <laughs> yeah. be strange. What's that over there, George? I just brought my work yeah. home today. Keeping it's just a patient. I'm keeping an eye on. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you yeah. you touched on it, Lester. But how has the the business world changed? Are we going to bounce back from this? Like, I know we all we all talk about you can work from home, and th- this might be an eye opener for a lot of people that that virtual offices are more doable than we think, or it might be an eye opener that working at home isn't so great right that really we do need that for a lot of people need that personal interaction and need that that connection um, but also I know our work has struggled because we basically dropped everything and said okay we're here to prepare to help for you know on this COVID outbreak which couldn't be more appropriate uh, but then people feel a little unsettled and uh, and their lives are turned upside down so what have you seen with your staff or what are you seeing in Toronto around just kind of like the business end of all this and the yeah the side that's a that's a great question Bruce and it's it's interesting. I mean, I could probably talk for hours. Businesses are going to be sort of divided into two piles as a result of this. You've got people like who have a business like mine, which is easy to go remote. And at the end of this, I might be saying, geez, Southern Ontario, he has hundreds of employees that manufacture steel and drive trucks and do things that you cannot do remotely. How do they get paid and how do we keep cash flow moving throughout the economy? Pleased with what I've seen from our federal government role cash flows, short-term loans to businesses so that you can keep paying employees even if you were working in a restaurant or in a hotel or at an airline. You're not working. These jobs are paid. You can't pay your rent. Your uh, landlord can't pay his mortgage. You know, there's a there's just a continuous flow downhill. The economy has been racing for a long time. We're on the things are not going to look the same six months or a year. I don't mean that to sound panicky. What this is going to lead to is going to be an adjustment in business and economics. There's pluses and minus, right? There's there's winners and losers, but you know things will eventually sort of 
revert back to the to the main line. I don't know. That was a little long winded. I don't know if you want to cut some of that out of the pod, Bruce, but <laughs> you might want to cut all that. You can cut all that out. You can cut all that out. <laughs> you already do a shorter version answer to that question. <laughs> yeah. Edit point. I'll uh, I'll shorten you up. Getting back to your employees a little bit, and I want to throw this one to George right away, but I mean, I've had a whole bunch of discussions. A lot of the people that I supervise have kids at home. And so that this is the the hugest one is our schools are closing down now. Artie Parker and the schools in Thompson are three weeks now. Um, we've heard a couple provinces that are talking about maybe not going back until September. Georgie, your kids are the youngest of all of us. Yes. I feel like I was listening to Calgary Jack FM the other day and that, that Alberta has announced the schools are closed for a really long time. So how do your kids feel and how do you feel? The kids with with their mom and they come back Friday. So I haven't talked to them. I've been sort of joking around with them to say like, dad's got a great schedule every day for us. And they're like groaning, you know, I'm texting them saying like, you know, we've got this to do. Zara, you're going to take your driver's license. Uh, I haven't sent you this picture yet. Today, I finished painting uh, the basement. Megan baked a pie. And, like I cleaned some snow. And, and and since this whole podcast started Snowmageddon, you know, it's kind of interesting that we're talking about some huge natural disaster and we came together in a natural disaster to create this podcast. I kind of like the arc of that circle. I think the four of us are good examples of liking to stay busy, whether you don't have kids, have kids coming back from university or like me who has the youngest. I don't have any problems thinking about stuff to do. Like there's always stuff in your life. Your to-do list is always growing and just the bottom things of your to-do list never get done. So I think because the kids were already going to go into spring break, I mean, spring break would have started today anyways. I mean, they essentially missed three days of school and I will predict that we won't go back to school or it'll be so close to summer. They'll just not even bother going back Um, that. Yeah, there will be challenges. You don't have to stay indoors constantly. I mean, you can isolate by going out into the mountains uh, or into the bush. Like you're a good example, Bruce. Um, I don't know exactly how they feel because I haven't asked. I'm going to write that down. (laughs) I'm going to write that down to ask them how they feel. This is good parenting advice, Bruce. (laughs) Uncle Bruce wants to know how you guys are feeling. Dad could give a shit. No. So I I, I think, uh, yes, there's a lot of stress from people. I mean, they don't, they're not making enough money Uh, They don't know when they're going to go back to work. That starts fracturing. That affects relationships. That affects your relationship with your kids and your partner. So, you know, if I have a plea for anybody, which I'll say it again, the healthcare system's got you. Don't worry about that. Whatever's going to come, we're going to take care of you. Uh, Just make sure you take care of each other. I feel like we haven't talked about this at work, even though we think about it, but our challenge is going to be that mental health perspective. And I mean, you've got your kids have two houses to kind of bounce back and forth between, and we've got a house and a cabin and we've got lots of space. But if you're, you know, a family with three kids and you're downtown someplace and you're feeling a little bit locked in, yeah, how many times can you walk around the block? What kind of toll is that going to take on us? And I worry about that when schools close for for four months. I mean, it's, it's sexy and fun for two weeks or maybe Mm -hmm. three, but two and a half months, what do parents do? What do kids do, especially if we're still heavily isolated into our homes, right? And I, I kind of fear for that. Steve, if you have some thoughts on that. Bubble gum art. <laughs> Just kidding. 
it's so critical to focus on each other, you know, and it's hard when if people have got money issues and they've got things, but the reality is, is if you can't take care of each other, um, that stuff means nothing. Like George said, taking care of each other is going to be critical, like staying connected as much as possible. Right. So we've got to, we've got to up our game when it comes to, um, taking care of each other, checking in on each other, uh, you know, calling, making, like I said, making a list of people you haven't talked to, just call in five minute calls. Uh, how are you doing? What do you need? And, uh, yeah, I think that's critical. You know, you reach out, uh, I mean, this might be a good time to mention, uh, Crawley's email, a very thoughtful and insightful email. In fact, I read it a couple of times and he, and he, he made a, uh, he made a point of saying how impressed he was that the four of us stay connected. As an interesting side note to this, I'm getting texts, and I'm sure it's because I'm a doctor, from people that barely reach out to me. <laughs> like they're just, you know, they're asking me, you know, how am I doing? <laughs> you know, how, how are things? You know, trying to get the inside line uh, <laughs> on uh, what's happening, you know, getting the real story. So it is did, interesting. Hey, Georgie, that, did, you re- uh, did you reply to Garth Matson? <laughs> <laughs> He's been blocked for years. Uh, so yeah, I'm just kidding. I, I do want to touch on, because both Les brought it up and Steve brought it up about the business aspect and, and, and then how society uh, might do after this. And it, it, it sort of reminds me a little bit of our helicopter parenting pod so you know we're hardwired to use our emotion over reason especially in self-preservation we are i mean it when it comes down to it your emotions uh overcome your reason and you actually have to grow into that and to practice so we generally take very few facts we run them through like these subconscious and subconscious processes and then we come to potentially irrational solutions and we and we look for control just exactly what steve said and the toilet paper is a very classic example that everybody's been making fun of but even despite people making fun of it it ain't slowing down like people continue (laughs) to do that because they can solidly do something uh it isn't that it's an irrational thing to do like any toilet paper we need toilet paper but it's the control aspect so i think steve hit it out of the park when he mentioned that I think it's much more interesting of what's going to happen to society because I think the fragility of our society, it'll actually get worse because we're socially amplifying fear through social media and misinformation. And and the reason why I'm bringing up helicopter parenting, my question to you guys is, we're going to go through this and we're getting through it 100%. It doesn't matter what's going to happen, who's going to survive, who's going to get sick, who's going to get better, what, how much money we're going to dump into our economies to keep it going. This is going, we're going to get through it. I just wonder generally uh, as a society, how this will change the way we interact with each other, the way we helicopter our children even more, the way it'll build in more fear or kind of like the way our parents have always had their relationship with money. When you gone through a poor period in your life, like my parents, you know, my mom is still the same way, I think. Lest you mentioned this about Faye, she still is a net earner every month, just you know, with saver. her pension yep. and her CPP, because you can't get out the uh, Saskatchewan girl that didn't have very much as a kid. So now we're going to have millions of people that have survived this pandemic, and I can guarantee you we will have another one. I mean, this is 
I mean, this is cyclical. Like it was only 100 years ago when we had the Spanish flu. I think this will be uh, tattooed into the psyche for quite a while. And I'm wondering what you guys think. I'll jump in first, Georgie. It's kind of funny because I was thinking the same thing today was how will we not have a little bit better stash of food and probably toilet paper on hand? And not that I'm the toilet paper guy, but it was funny because the other day we literally ran out and then you get shamed at the store for buying some. But like we were we were seriously at zero and only bought one pack. It is going to get tattooed into us. And I think you're right. It's It's maybe not so specifically the money, but more being prepared to know that you could be locked down in your house for two or three months and to be prepared for that. So for me, and I think likely that's even more for our kids, we've we've had enough years behind us without something like this that maybe that fades a little quicker. But for them, I feel like it'll be a pretty big deal for them. Yeah, I think there's a good opportunity that this ends up being the defining event of our generation. We're the first generation that's never gone to war and never lived through some sort of global chaotic event. And it uh, looks like this is going to be ours. And of course, that will, that will change. It'll change aspects of society and it'll change our mentality towards a lot of things as well. I want to touch back on society very quickly. Like I see it here in Toronto and amongst my peer group, very quickly being divided into two camps, right? You've got people who are taking this very seriously saying, hey, we need to social distance. We need to be responsible. We need to give George and, and his fellow healthcare workers an opportunity to get on top of this. You know, let's flatten the curve, do, our, do everything we can to participate as good, responsible citizens. And then you've got the other group of people saying, I don't give a fuck. You know, you watch all these people partying spring break on the beach in Florida, you know, laughing and drinking and, you know, causing a, what is going to be um, a disastrous situation for the hospitals in Florida in three weeks from now, right? So what I think is interesting within a family unit, and you know, my family unit doesn't have children, but Alex and I sat down last week when we were talking about what we were going to do and came to the realization very quickly, like, hey, we need to be on the exact same page about this right now. Like we need to agree on what we think we should be doing and then we need to work as a team to do it because if you're not like if you're living in a situation where your partner your spouse your roommate your children are not in agreement with you on on how you should be behaving responsibly right now that's an incredible strain on a on a family structure and it yeah, right. Like it's just going to lead to chaos. And then when people start getting sick and there's blame and fingers pointed and grief and sadness and um, resentment, like, yeah, I mean, Steve, you can pick up the conversation from here where I leave it. But I just think that's an incredibly important thing. And and uh, I, I hope that, um, you know, that, that family structures are able to get on the same page so that it's not too destructive. But a lot of relationships are going to end as a result of this. Friendships, partnerships, where, where? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, George, George lives this every day. Humans, you know, the way that they are in crisis intensifies. Yep. We'd love to say that it gets better, and that asshole all of a sudden is a nice guy, and you know, like sometimes that happens. But you know, the reality is, is stress builds character, and I say it reveals it. Relationships. I can speak for mine. Like Christy and I, I'll just give you an example. We. 
agreed that we were not, you know, the greatest together in a marriage, but we decided we had kids, so we will always work together. And you guys know her. She's an amazing parent. As soon as this thing hit, we had a conversation and we're like, and Zane was awesome. He's like, yeah, you know, I want to see my friends. I'm like, you know, this is your last day to see your friends for a while. And, and Christy was, you know, on board, but you're right. It's these kinds of situations, you know, very rarely is there a middle ground. It either brings, brings people together closer than ever or tears yeah, them apart. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and I think, you know, we try to educate people and, and that's where compassion comes in and you, you try to love people and, it's like it's like the other day I was like, like on my on my one of my feeds social media I'm like I was about to say I was so fed up with everything I was about to say anybody on my network that supports Trump please unfriend or unfollow me <laughs> like it was just one of those moments like like I am so done with stupid and it comes to that with friends less like you know you we do what we can and say hey like you know this is not you know like I I've been really following David Stevens Dr David Stevens friend of George's and ours um, as both a doctor and a father. And, you know, he's posting things like, you know, without being profane, profane, saying like social distancing, you know, means that you not only stay in your house, but don't invite other kids to your freaking house. Like, you know, um, and I think sometimes as humans, we try to bend the rules a bit. So hey, I'm not leaving the house, yeah. but we had 30 people yeah, over exactly. last night. Exactly. We're not going to bars. We're going to host dinner parties instead. <laughs> That's a good point, Steve. That's a good point because I only brought up the, the downside, but you bring up the upside as well. It, it either pulls a couple together or pushes them apart. And I think it does. This does have the ability to pull you pull you together with the people that uh, that you're in agreement with. And, and that can be a fantastic thing as well. Even Bray and I like, you know, like my kids are young adults and you know, we're, we're in the same house. Hey, how do you feel about, should we keep a meter apart? Should we be hugging? And, and, you know, like, how do you feel about, about us being in the same space? Like you've got your own feelings, you've got your own experience. Yeah. Talking to your kids and your partners about it um, sooner than later is, is I think critical to yeah. strengthen the relationship yeah. for sure. Perhaps people haven't considered the tragedy that's happened in Italy from not just obviously the loss of life, but one of their greatest strengths hurt them. So they are multi-generational families, uh, huggy, touchy-filly people. Uh, on top of that, didn't take this seriously. And the strength of their culture where they congregate constantly, eat together constantly, are always together constantly, ended up being kind of an Achilles heel for them. Uh, and I don't know if people have thought of it that way because uh, things just mm -hmm. blew out out of proportion and it then Spain followed the same way so I think um, you know I'm gonna have to think about that too because I'm a pretty huggy person with my kids for sure and with you guys but yeah maybe you should be asking people that you love uh, are you okay with not being huggy feely yeah. for yeah. a little bit to me and maybe it's because I'm a bit like Steve and such an an itchy feet guy and always moving but Staying the course is going to be the harder part. It, it's okay to, to make those decisions and have those conversations now. And we, we do that. But, and maybe that's what unsettles me. Three months of that is really hard for me to picture or two months or, um, you know, to, to keep that up to not say exactly what you said. Okay, yeah, we, we did it for two weeks, but it's really getting kind of dull. So we're going to have our friends over for dinner and, and sing some songs. It's been three weeks. We're good. Yeah. Right. And, and to me, that, that's one of my fears. That, maybe not fears, but that's one of the uncertainties, just how, how do we keep that up? And I hope that we can and we do. But you're, you're going to adapt. 
the last you mentioned the climate change defining us, and now we're talking about COVID defining us. <laughs> That's right. It's now been replaced. <laughs> but you know, but the thing That's is, pretty good. You know, our grandparents, you know, our great grandparents, our 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 parents, um, they adapted. So you're gonna you're gonna be fine, Bruce. You're yeah. going to be awesome. You're going to evolve into this. Okay. I appreciate that little virtual back rub because we got to stay that far apart. <laughs> hey, as long as we don't have to do a virtual rubbing one out, that's because that's, you know, then, then we're not okay. I might have sounded a little more dire than I really was because I'm not losing sleep over it at night. Didn't sound it's bad. one of the things that uh, that rattles around in my mind, right, is just that that yeah. feels like a long shift. For yeah, me. no, Bruce, I think that's a really yeah. important yeah. point, though, because... Never mind how we feel about it. How is society in general going to feel about it? Because there's a lot of people out there right now still thinking that this is going to be two weeks. Like, oh, we're working from home for two weeks. Okay, let's do another pod in two <laughs> weeks and see how many people have gone back to work. I'm not making a dire forecast. I'm just yeah. saying like, you know, this is, you know, we need to be prepared mm -hmm. to settle in like this. And it is going to start to affect people down the road if they're not mentally preparing themselves for it now. I think that's where I was getting at. Yeah, yeah, like this is it's it's a novelty right now, or it is for me anyway, and yeah. and probably for a lot of people, yeah, right? And it's but, a shift, Bruce. It's a long shift. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It's just a, it's just going to be a long shift. Yeah. <laughs> There's a saying in uh, in healthcare, Bruce, when we were talking about call for call. I always tell resident, call is like hemorrhaging; it always stops. <laughs> yeah. Bleeding will always stop <laughs> eventually. Yeah. Eventually, one way or the other. That's uh, I, I prefer the long shift to tell you the truth. <laughs> that was that did border on some gallows humor, I gotta say. I mean, I think you're being just honest, Bruce. I think it's okay, and I think you should also expect to slip up, uh, because I think it's an unrealistic expectation that when people ask of society to do something as oppositely ingrained in your personality or just generally in your neighborhood in your town in your city etc this is a big ask and it's going to take some fortitude to get through it but i suspect we will all look back on this and go man i remember doing that thing and i probably shouldn't have done it like i mean that's part of i i think that's why these type of what many people would consider draconian measures which is why like les said half the population isn't taking it seriously they just don't like being told what to do and they're the constant conspiracy theorists that you know sling shit constantly and don't basically understand what's going on that other half will also slip up a little bit i mean that's it's okay i don't want you to do it but it'll be it's okay like if you step out and you accidentally fist pump somebody or handshake it's not going to be the end of the world either you know, I don't want people to be completely, you know, opaque to each other. I mean, you're, it's okay to make a mistake, I guess. George, did you open? Did you open mouth? Did you open mouth kiss someone again at, at uh, Costco? Only a couple strangers in the bathroom. <laughs> a random. Yeah, George, I think that's a really good point, though. As an aside, it's interesting that Les is you know making a prediction on the presidential election in November because of this because I will just speak from it from a, a medical perspective. How we have handled it is light years better than the states, and they were so slow on the pickup. They are so fragmented, and I've told you this, I've told most of you uh, this a long time ago. Uh, I mean, their cases will outstrip um, Italy probably, maybe not in severity, uh, mm -hmm. just because of how ill-prepared they are, uh, and we are so much better 
uh, ahead. So I'm I'm kind of glad that we're closing the border to them, other than obviously commerce, because we got to get our food. We south need of toilet the border paper, anyways. brother. Well, <laughs> Canada has a good forestry industry, so presumably all our pulp and paper could go to making toilet paper. We should be fine. We don't <laughs> yeah. need the Americans for that. But we do need them for a lot of things. But George, you're you're exactly correct. I don't want this to turn into a you know a too focused on U.S. politics. I didn't make a prediction on the on the presidential election. I did say this is going to have a dramatic impact on it and a dramatic impact on the on the next six months of campaigning. Um, if you want to talk offline about my predictions for the election, uh. I'll give them to you. Um, but the other thing okay. is, as as you know, um, America is about to realize, um, you know, in 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 a full wave the shortcomings of their ridiculous abuse of healthcare policy. And, you know, it's unfortunate that this is what it's going to take to, for them. You know, this is going to be the worst ever I told you so, but the fact that their refusal to embrace some level of universal healthcare um, has, is so ingrained in them is going to come back to haunt them. And it's a, it's a, a terrible, terrible thing, unfortunately. And, and and a living wage, dude. Not just yeah. just not medical care, dude. Yeah. The, the the expense of this is going to have them reconsider. Um, I think a living wage and and yeah. healthcare. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So. Yeah. Yeah. So thankful, you know, all the times we've complained about paying our taxes and how high our taxes are in Canada, but our taxes go to a good thing, and our taxes fund the healthcare system, and our taxes, you know, give George the tools that he needs. And uh, uh, we're in a much better situation than most parts of the world right now as a result of that. You know, we are going to spend the next however many weeks or months of our lives um, making accommodations and thinking things are a pain in the ass and dealing with ourselves. Um, and that's me and that's you, Bruce, and that's you, Steve. George, you're going to spend the next weeks and months of your life saving lives and i don't know if everybody who listens to this pod actually knows what you do for a living and what you have done with your entire life and dedicated your life to to saving other people's lives but it's fucking impressive i know you're going to be very mm-hmm. um overworked and uh, put to the test over the next few months and i know that you know you've spent your whole life getting ready for this and i have incredible faith in your abilities and i know that you're going to be fine you don't often get a public forum to say and i don't know if i've told you this often enough the incredible amount of admiration i have for what you have done with your life and what you do on a daily basis and uh, i'm thanking you in advance for for uh, what you are about to do on behalf of all canadians and uh, i love you brother and good on you and to add to that georgie I, i tell you all the time i think you're a phenomenal doctor seeing you work in several times and i just want to say thank you and uh, you know thank you on behalf of every other doctor and nurse and health practitioner seeing it on the ground last week and even this week was insane to see what's uh, what's happening and uh yeah yep. appreciate it hey guys i just came back to the washroom did i miss anything <laughs> just kidding <laughs> <laughs> Ha <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Les, I think Les, Les said something. Oh, could you imagine? I'm just oh, yeah, it's not important. What'd you say? It's not important. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you next year. No, that's wonderful to hear, guys. Uh, obviously, I, I appreciate those words. And I got to tell you, it's it's happening in all of your provinces. I mean, the uh, we're we're now actually changing all of our call schedules to be available as backup. And I'm always impressed with my colleagues that step up uh, to help each other out. I mean, uh, th this this is our finest moment. Uh, if we are not going to change that, this will be the defining moment of our generation versus climate change. I mean, I think they're both equally important. Uh, yeah, this is it's I'm lucky to work with the people that I work. And, uh, you know, I'm lucky that I found the thing that I was meant to do. I believe that I the energy I get from work is is amazing. And the and um, and the, the energy I get from you guys is amazing. So thank you. Kind words. I think that's kind of a good place to wrap. I want to uh, shout out, you You mentioned him, George, a little bit before, but Colin Crowley sent us an amazing email. He's a longtime listener and got caught up in the Heroes episode and the University episode. Both of them kind of spoke to him. I think you should also mention that his dad was all of our principal at Juniper School. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> You're we right. all have a tie back to Jack Crowley. Yeah, Jack yeah. Crowley. I mean, that. I mean, there's another crazy connection. I, I right? kind of forgot that uh, Jack was our principal for a couple of years and I have to admit, I got along better with Colin than I did with Jack. Let's just put it that way. Colin didn't have to suspend me. He didn't have to, yeah. He uh, sent us a long, sort of heartfelt email, which was great. Called us out on a few things and also gave us a lot of pats on the back. So top marks to him. But what he, he emailed me back again and, and he dropped a quote from Roman Mars. So Roman Mars is the guy that does the 99% Invisible podcast. And he just did one basically from his house saying, hey, I'm self-isolating. But what he left it with was a little bit of a story about one of his friends who's who's immunocompromised. And so if if COVID-19 finds him, he's in big trouble, the worst trouble. And he just sort of tells a really nice story about that. And so I think we should wrap up the podcast with that. So I'm going to drop it in right now. It's Roman Mars from 99PI. So I want to play the song Exit Without Saving by the band Beauty Pill from their album. Beauty Pill describes things as they are which is where I got the name for this episode. Chad Clark is the lead singer and songwriter of Beauty Pill. Over a decade ago, his heart got infected by a virus that nearly killed him. Every sickness he's had since then has been a risk to his life and often involved him being hospitalized for days or weeks at a time. He has been blunt in saying that the new coronavirus would kill him if he got it. So... You know, I know it's hard to go through this quarantine and act in the collective good when the action that we're all taking is staying inside and minimizing contact and not, you know, like gathering 10 people to lift a car off someone. But taking care in this way is how we can do the most good. So you can help me lift a car off my friend Chad Clark because I need him to stay in this world and keep making music. And what's amazing is at the same time, we're lifting a car off your 70-year-old mom and nurse working a 12-hour shift at the hospital. So, here we go.
that's it. That's the end. You probably found us already on social media, but if not, at SnowDayPod. Tell your friends. We've also got an email, snowdaypod at gmail.com. Send us a voice memo. Maybe we'll put your voice on the show. Thanks to the rest of our team, social media Todd, producer Mike, and the secret weapon, Shannon Bison.